0: God's word says this, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, No. And they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit. Descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Hear this, And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. If if you're into photography, there's two modes of photography that you can shoot in. There's macro and micro, okay? Macro means big, kind of gives you big picture. Uh, Usually the lens is pulled way out. Like if you like to watch nature shows, they might start out in outer space and kind of zero in on the earth. Micro is obviously, you know, micro, it's focusing in on a specific Section The Apostle John now begins to zero in on the earthly ministry. So last week we went from this grand cosmic view, kind of the, mi- the macro view of going all the way back to the beginning. Uh, Jesus coming from eternity. He's the creative agency of God. So we have this grand cosmic view pulled out into outer space. And then now, moving into verse 19, we go micro. We're coming into now three years of the ministry of Jesus Uh, And within that time... John the Apostle, who wrote uh, this gospel, is going to enlist the testimony and witness of specific people to Jesus and also show signs that Jesus engaged in to reveal that he is, in fact, the Messiah and to carry out John's purpose uh, to draw the lost to Jesus, uh, to, to make Jesus known. And he begins here with the testimony of John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Apostle that wrote this gospel, which brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this. John the Baptist humbly clears the way to the Messiah, Jesus. John the Baptist humbly clears the way to the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, We found in our opening reading uh, the religious leaders are coming. They have a bunch of questions for John the Baptist. Who are you, basically, is kind of the gist of what they're saying. John pushes back, and I want to give you this clear kind of purpose statement that he makes in verse 23. He says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, quoting Isaiah. He says this, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John there is giving his main idea, his main purpose in life. Now we have to set the stage to kind of get the the full effect here, get some historical context. What all is going on? Uh, around this scene. Why are the religious leaders questioning a man like John the Baptist who has such religious zeal? For one, he was kind of a he was an odd guy, right? We learned from the other gospels that he dressed funny and he ate funny things, didn't he? He was an interesting guy. But the real hang up with the religious leaders was that he was going and baptizing, and he was baptizing Jews. And that's interesting. Because in this time. The practice of baptism was a, a purification rite. But it was only reserved for Gentile converts to Judaism. Those were the people that needed to be purified and baptized. And it wasn't necessarily for Jews. But here, John is showing us something. John the Baptist is showing us something by baptizing Jews. Is He's, he's sending this message that everyone needs to be purified. And he's teaching this through baptism and calling people to make way for the Lord. He's showing a picture in a sense like you need to be cleaned up. And to say it concisely, one thing that he's doing, one way that he's acting this out is he's showing us in this picture of baptism that the the old way of doing things is going away and the new and better way is coming the old way of doing things is going away, and the new and better way is coming. Our, our guiding illustration for this morning, we're going to kind of jump back to this illustration throughout the points this morning. It comes from verse 23, and it shows us like the old way is going away, and the new way is coming. Here in Kentucky, we have what are called windy country roads, right? O- old highways, and they didn't You know, annex land, I guess, maybe 50, 100 years ago, they didn't take Jethro's farm and then cut the road straight, but they went around his farm. And so when you get out in the country, you could be going straight and then you got to cut around this guy's yard and then it goes straight again and then it curves back this way. And then there's a big oak tree in the middle. So we had to loop. It's not straight, is it? The old highways are windy. I like kind of going out in the country and going on the windy roads. My kids don't they complain and so here in Kentucky, we have rolling hills. Much of the landscape is forested, especially up in this area. We know that there's a lot of hard rock underneath the topsoil. If you travel the old highways, they're, they're windy, cut-around property lines, large trees. But at some point, the old way needs to make way for something new and better, right? The old way, the old windy way needs to make way for something new and better. And so in order to help someone get to their destination safely, Road construction began in our state, and it was carried out by making straight interstates where they cut down large trees, they flattened the pathway, they blasted out the hard rock that lays beneath the surface. If you take I-65 south, and I'd encourage you to stay out of the middle lane, if you've driven out in the middle lane of I-65 out of Shepherdsville towards, you know, LJ and then into E-Town, you're going to be in for a bumpy ride. Stay in the fast lane or the slow lane, not the middle lane. But if it was all flat... As you make your way to to E-Town, just south of here, you would go through... There's this really cool area where there's this like man-made valley. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the sheer rock on either side, and there's these big trees at the top. And if you look in in the rock, you'll see there's holes drilled. And and I'd venture to guess that those holes were drilled because they dropped sticks of dynamite in there and blast out the rock to clear the way, right? To clear the path so that you didn't have to go around that big old hill and then cut back in. They made the roadway clear to the destination, very, as straight as they could, as flat as they could. They moved the trees out of the way. They took over property and just cut that interstate right through. This is, now drawing it back to this story, this is John's role. This is John's role, both as one who points others to the Messiah, he's clearing the way for Jesus, and to make way for the coming Son of God. John's doing both of those things. He's, kinda, he's the pivot point now between the old and the new. And so from that now, thinking from that, we're going to look at three aspects of John's ministry to do this, to make straight the way of the Lord, as he said in verse 23. The first thing is that John understood his purpose. Okay, three aspects of John's ministry. John understood his purpose. As the religious leaders now crushed in on him with their questions and assumptions, John did this. He held to his purpose and his role. He knew what he was supposed to do. You see, in this time frame, the the Jewish world was in fact, in Rome, anticipating that something drastic was going to happen. That that the king, after David, would come and ascend to the throne and would demolish their enemies and and once again, reinstate this this nation, this people. And so there was this anticipation that the, the Deliverer, the Messiah, was coming. And so... There there was kind of this acute awareness of prophets like John coming and speaking, and they wanted to know what was going on, and so they had an interest in John in particular. They were anticipating, looking, and waiting for the Messiah to arrive. Perhaps John is the Messiah. But John knew his role, didn't he? He knew his purpose. He understood How easy could it have been for John the Baptist in his sinful flesh to make the spotlight to elevate himself, but instead he does this, looking to verses 19 to 23. John the Apostle quotes it this way. He says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. That's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? He he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. He's really asserting himself here okay this is the truth then he says this he says i i want to pause there okay you're like man i is i really that big of a deal yes it is right here it is because if we go back to the original languages the i here is is a point of emphasis it's different from the i am not when he answers if he's elijah this one is like i am not the messiah he's emphasizing i am not the Christ." And it says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, now this is just kind of a normal I. I'm not. It's two different words that we don't capture in English. And they say, are you the prophet? Now, he seems to kind of get short with them. No. Get a clue. So they said to him, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, now this is the same I that we get back from The I am not the Christ. So he emphasizes this I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Here's the clear teaching here John understood his purpose, he was just the road builder, preparing the way for the Messiah and for the people, showing through baptism that a new and better way had arrived. The old windy highway of the old covenant law was fading away through fulfillment in the new and better covenant in Jesus Christ. Jesus was bringing about a new, a new way. It was the, Jesus is the culmination of God's redemptive plan, and John is pointing to that. He's clearing the way for Jesus. The rocks of, of the new roads and the strongholds were being blasted away. The interstate was coming through. This was the purpose of John the Baptist. He said, to make clear the way of the Lord. Aspect number two of John the Baptist's ministry. John understood his position. John understood his position. says this in verses 24 to 28. So now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a second. The idea behind this statement is that Basically, there was a delegation from each different sect of Jewish religious leaders that were there questioning John the Baptist. So you had representatives of the Pharisees, or perhaps some of the Pharisees were there, people from the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the priests. There was All the Jewish leaders are, are there, or sent representatives likely, to ask John, what in the world are you doing? It says they asked them, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. Hear this, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Some of us may hear this statement from John the Baptist and think, man, he's a humble guy, right? I'm not even, un- I'm not even worthy to, to untie the sandals of Jesus. But, but I want you family this morning to really grasp what he's saying here. To think through that statement. What is he saying about his position to Jesus? In this day, here's here's some again some cultural historical context. In this day, teachers or rabbis had disciples. They had followers that were they were enlisted to learn under under them, under their leadership, under their teaching. Generally, these teachers or rabbis weren't compensated monetarily with money, but they were compensated through services from their disciples. In other words, their disciples would do things for them. They would work for the teacher in order to compensate and appreciate their rabbi or teacher. But, hear this, not even a disciple would touch the feet of their teacher. I'm not not touching those nasty feet. That was the job for a slave in this society. Someone that was less than. Are you getting a picture of position here? You have teacher, disciple, the slave untied the sandals. But what is John the Baptist saying? He's saying, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal I'm down here. I'm the lowest. When I stand next to Jesus, I I can't even stand. It kind of is reminiscent of the Old Testament when Old Testament figures would encounter the presence of God, what would they do? They would they understood their position. They would fall flat on their face. Think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he's when he encounters God, when the curtain is pulled back and he's engaged with God's presence. He says what? Woe is me. He understood his position. John is showing us his position to Jesus. He's saying, I'm not not a student of the teacher. I'm not even a slave to the teacher. But I'm beneath even these in comparison to the Son of God. I'm not even worthy to touch his feet and untie his sandals. What incredible humility that we learn from John the Baptist. And I think we all could could learn from this because it is only when we understand this position that we have to Jesus that we do this, that we witness and experience the true beauty of his work. When we understand before the cross where we are at in comparison to Christ and where we are as reconciled followers of Jesus after the cross, man, that should just well up our hearts with grace and humility. And love for him. Do you? Here's a clear question. Do you understand your position to Jesus? Do you understand where you where you're at in comparison to him? John the Baptist would later say this in John three twenty nine to thirty. He says, "The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice." He says this, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He says this about his comparison to Jesus. He must what? Increase, but I must decrease. Do you see the humility of John the Baptist? John elevates the Christ, Jesus, and he diminishes. John the Baptist must fade away and the Christ must become more and more apparent to others. This is, if we want to draw application out of this, this should be the goal of every follower of Jesus, that we come humbly before our Savior and that we fade to the background as we point others to Christ. My prayer when I come up here is not that you would hear me, but that you would hear the the words that God wants you to hear and that Jesus would be exalted above all things. My goal in my Christian walk, this may sound morbid, is that I proclaim Jesus, and I die, and I'm forgotten. But that Jesus is forever remembered. What incredible humility that John the Baptist has. The beauty of it is, is we we get some insight into Jesus' view of John the Baptist in Matthew 11.11. This isn't in your notes. Listen to what Jesus says of this incredibly humble man. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen, hear this, no greater than John the Baptist. No one. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, we don't understand position and power and all that. That's all we need to do is come humbly before Jesus, humble ourselves before him, and worship at his feet. Know your position We must decrease. He must increase. Aspect number three. John boldly proclaimed truth about Jesus. John boldly proclaimed truth about Jesus. We're going to break down uh, verse 29 to 34 as we pull out three sub points. You see how I tricked you there? You guys thought we had three main points, but then I added three sub points under there. So you thought... Those lunch plans you had with mom, you might want to push them back a little bit. So John gives us here in verses 29 to 34. He gives us three truths about Jesus in his testimony to the Jewish leadership. the The first point he gives is this: is that Jesus is sin bearer. He's a sin bearer. Verse 29. Man, I love this when he, the way he says this. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, "Like, listen to the simplicity of this gospel message. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Now, as I was reading and preparing for this sermon, I consult different, you know, commentaries and scholarly opinions. And man, let me tell you what—they can dice this section up and make it just a confusing mess. I don't understand. You know, did, did John really know he was going to die, and did John? I don't, who knows? Here's, here is the, you know, did, did John really understand what he was saying, etc., etc.? You see, the, in the Christian walk, we can overthink everything, can't we? Uh, here's what John is saying. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Clear, isn't it? Hear these things about Jesus. This is what John is, this is what this spirit-filled writing of John the Apostle is recollecting of John the Baptist's memory is this. Jesus is the sin-bearing Lamb of God. Jesus is the substitutionary ram caught in the thicket as Abraham lifted his knife and was ready to thrust it into his son Isaac Jesus is the perfect lamb who was slain for the freedom of God's people in Egypt, the blood covering over the people and averting the wrath of God. Jesus is the scapegoat cast into the wilderness Jesus is the sacrificial guilt offering. Jesus is Isaiah's lamb in Isaiah 53 led to the slaughter, silent before his oppressors, and Jesus is the Lamb, as scholar D.A. Carson notes, who conquers his enemies in Revelation 17.14 and it says this, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gives this truth, a second truth. Jesus is Savior King. Jesus is Savior, King. John says this in verse 30, and then looking to verse 34, it says, This is he of whom I said, said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, so we see position there again. Then it says this, because he was before me. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Some translations might say the chosen one of God. John the Baptist here is doing this. He's affirming, as we preached on last week, the pre existence of Jesus, that Jesus is indeed divine and that he comes from all of eternity. There is never a time when Jesus was not, he has always existed, and all things were created through him. John understands his position. And he understands this beautiful Lamb of God that's walking towards him in the crowd. Jesus is the Savior King. We know when He's called the Son of God, the Chosen One of God, it's implying kingship. Here is where Jesus is at right now. Do you know where He's at? He is seated at the right hand of God of the Father, ruling and reigning, and his word says, interceding on behalf of his people. Jesus is Savior King. Lastly, Jesus is the Spirit-filled revealer. Jesus is the Spirit-filled revealer. John says this in verses 31 to 33. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. Hear this, that he might be what? Revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. So now John's thinking back. The other Gospels actually play through the actual account of Jesus' baptism. In, In John's Gospel, it's a recollection. He's recalling the instance... John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he was told beforehand, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So we have two takeaways from this section here. Two takeaways. Takeaway one. The Spirit descended on Him and remained on Him. The Spirit descended on Jesus and remained on Him. That word's important. If you you can recall some of your Old Testament stories, you'll know that there's instances where men had the Spirit come upon them, but then at some point the Spirit departed them, it left. Why? Because the Spirit was given in the Old Testament for a season or for a purpose. But the Scriptures point to the day when the Spirit would come and remain. And we're seeing that remaining here in the Son of God that is Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament in the temple in Ezekiel 10, we see the Spirit of God, the presence of God leave. But here now, the Spirit of God is descending on on God's temple, His tabernacle, His tent that came and took on human flesh and dwelt among us. John the Baptist is, is recalling the Spirit of God descending and remaining. That's so important. It remained upon Jesus. It, let me give it to you clearly. Something different has come. That's what he's saying. This is no ordinary man. This is, in fact, the old fading away and the new coming in. The second takeaway is that word revealing The Spirit did this. It revealed the truth to John the Baptist. The Spirit, in fact, revealed this truth. He revealed Jesus to John the Baptist. One purpose of his baptizing was so that the Messiah would be known. John said as much. When you you see the Spirit descend, that's the Messiah, that's the Christ. And so the purpose is fulfilled that Christ is revealed. And this revealing, it's a supernatural event. If you think of the other Gospels, right? The heavens open, God the Father spoke, the Spirit descends, it falls upon Christ. And in—I I want you to make this connection. In much the same way as it was revealed to John, In much the same way Jesus is revealed to us, it's a supernatural event every single time the Spirit falls upon a person and reveals their need for Jesus. Jesus is revealed by the Spirit of God. It's a miracle of God when we realize our need for Jesus as Messiah, as the Christ. When our position is brought low and we recognize this, we recognize our sin and shame before a holy and blameless God and we declare these words as John did, I'm not worthy to untie even his sandals. And we realize that we need these things as as John has showed us there. We need a sin bearer and His name is Jesus. We need a Savior King, and His name is Jesus. And we need a special revelation from the Lord to understand Him. To understand who He is. And we need this. We need the same Spirit. The same power that descended and remained upon Jesus, Christian, has filled you. And God does the work. And He gets the glory. He's poured out the same Spirit upon us, the same Spirit as Paul notes in Romans that eventually raised Christ from the dead is in us. That's amazing. If you only believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, sin-bearer, Savior-King, and Spirit-filled revealer. And so what do we do? There's two things here. What do we do? The first is... Uh, addressing a group in our room who are skeptical of Jesus or in an unbelief. You've heard about Jesus and what he's done here, that he, he bears our sin, that he's the Savior King, that he reveals to us who he is through the power of his Spirit. And I invite you this morning uh, that Jesus did these things, that he lived perfectly for you. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you. He raised from the dead in victory over sin and death. Would you place your confidence in his work this morning? Would you place your faith and trust in Him? The Bible says that you will be saved, your sins forgiven, covered by His righteousness. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus in here, if you are in Christ, I have one point of application this morning as we draw to a close. One point. Clear the way for Jesus. Clear the way for Jesus. Paul says this in his letter to the Christians in Corinth verses 23 to 24, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. It says it's a a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul's instructing a church. One of the reasons I love uh, Corinthians is because it's just a bunch of messed up people. It's Man, it's real talk. When you read through that, section of Scripture. And Paul, writing to this messy church, these messy people, he opens his letter with this simple truth. He, what is he saying in this statement? He's saying, stop complicating the message with a bunch of stumbling blocks. Clear the way. Remove excuses. Know your purpose, Christian. Know your position. Know the message that we proclaim. And the message is this. He simplifies it. He says, preach Christ crucified. In other words, what he's saying, drawing us back around to our original illustration, he's saying, pave the highway, blast away the rocks, clear the forest, flatten the hills, fill in the valleys, but one, he's saying, but one stumbling block remains. What's that stumbling block? What's the one stumbling block we leave out there? Followers of Jesus, we leave the stumbling block of the gospel. No other stumbling blocks. We move everything out of the way and we bring people and we allow them to trip over Jesus, over the truth about Him that we need His righteousness to take away our sin. That's the one stumbling block that remains. It's not us. It's not our our ideas, but it's bringing people to Scripture and the truth about God that we find in this beautiful book that God has entrusted to us. We let them trip over Jesus, the Christ who is crucified, as John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, Christian, will you embrace this purpose, this purpose that we've been entrusted with? Will you be a waymaker for the greater waymaker? Will you be a waymaker for the greater waymaker, Jesus Christ? Amen.